What is going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host and fellow Land Grant Holy Land contributor, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, are you a team player? Will you be sticking around the podcast, or will you be leaving for the podcast draft? Man, a podcast draft would be insufferable. Imagine... <laughs> Imagine some of the the total ghouls that would get drafted in the first round of a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we would definitely be the lower. We're fifth round picks. We're sne- we're sleeper picks. Yeah, I don't I don't think we're going. I, I'm not measuring very well at the podcast combine. That's, that's the first sure. ten picks will be guys named John. <laughs> All of them are named John. Hey, listen, you got to have the pedigree. Those they're just built yeah. for it. They're built John for casting. They're that they, they they are that uh. What what do they call him for quarter? He just looks like a podcaster. Yeah. He just he just he's looks got all like the intangibles. <laughs> so Patrick and I are here to talk a little bit about uh, Ohio State's upcoming game with Purdue this week. Preview that primetime game on the road at Purdue. Also talk about the breaking news. Not so breaking at this point, but breaking news yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday of Nick Bosa's departure from the Ohio State football program and break down a little bit of that so we might as well get right into it yesterday the report came out that Nick Bosa the injury was I I don't know if the report was that the injury was a little more severe but basically that it would be tough for him to not play or to play at any point for the rest of the season so he decides to withdraw from school head to the NFL draft Uh, Urban Meyer said it was a tough decision that they talked it over and him and his family just kind of decided that that was for the best. I can't say I'm like totally surprised based off the nature of how people were talking about this injury. I think it was a little far-fetched when everybody kept saying, oh, well, he'll be back for the Michigan game. This is one where it just sucks to see for both sides, but in the end, you know, he's got to do what's, what's best for him and he'll be a high pick in the NFL draft and he'll probably be an impact rookie right away. So it's not like his, his impact isn't done on Ohio state because as we've seen before, the best way to continue to get players of his caliber is for them to perform in the NFL. So if he plays like his brother or, you know, plays even better or plays on that level, then he's going to be just fine in being, you know, recruiting material for Ohio state. So definitely hurts him on the field. But I, I don't think this is too big of a deal that he decided to leave. Yeah, in a um, in a piece with Sports Illustrated, um, Nick's dad John said that um, he had been playing through some pain in the first couple games. He had some slight tears happening. He he said that that Nick had some discomfort in the left side of his groin. They they thought it was something he could play with and manage. Obviously, it, it ended up being more than that. I think he really aggravated it against TCU and. Ultimately, he's he he was a college football player playing a very violent sport for no compensation. I mean, he gets a scholarship, but that's that's it. And there's no real reason to risk injury in in a situation like that, especially because as long as there's a team at the top of the NFL draft that is pretty confident with their their quarterback situation, he will be the first pick, and that wasn't going to change unless he went out and played poorly and he can't do that now so there was there was really no i don't think any reason for for him to 
to come back to force it, especially if he's not feeling like he 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 will be recovered in time. I, I think that um, for the most part, Ohio State fans have been understanding of this, which is a little surprising. But I, I think the Boses are, are pretty well liked, which contributes to that. I, I certainly saw a lot more people getting mad about Denzel Ward missing one game that didn't matter at all last season. But, um, I mean, regardless, both situations, both players were, were in the right and had the right to do so. It certainly hurts Ohio State that, that they won't have an elite defense event uh, to, to pair with Chase Young. But I think Jonathan Cooper's ultimately fine. This isn't going to—I don't think this kills Ohio State's championship chances or anything like that because I really don't think they had them with Bosa because Alabama exists. But, yeah, best best of luck to— to Nick, uh, I'm sure he'll he'll be great in the NFL, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Yeah, and I can't say that it changes how I feel much about the team. Obviously, it would be a huge boost to have a player of his caliber, but he was already pretty much out for the rest of the season, so we'll have to see all of those other dudes be able to step up and make plays. And something we haven't spent a lot of time talking about is really how banged up the defensive line in general is right now. Robert Landers has been hurt a little bit Jonathan Cooper has been pretty banged up so we're starting to see a lot of younger players that haven't gotten a lot of playing time play on along that defensive line and I think that there has been and there will be a lot of growing pains to come from that but for those guys to get big time experience in the way that they are right now I think ultimately will be pretty valuable for them and you're gonna have to replace a guy like Nick Bosa at the end of the season anyway so to get a kind of a jump on it I think can be a little bit of a positive despite losing a player of his stature yeah and it's not like Ohio State is without you know good defensive linemen I, I think Larry Johnson will, will probably recover just fine it, it'll certainly you know it'll help to have Big Bob back and, and healthy have Draymond Jones back and healthy have Jonathan Cooper back and healthy because the the line did look a little gassed against Minnesota at times they were the the depth wasn't great. You saw several freshmen playing. Teron Vincent got in there. I think Tommy Togiai has been playing pretty significant minutes this season. Tyler Friday, Tyreek Smith, both pretty much the next level behind Chase Young and, and Jay Sean Cornell. So it's it's a little it's a little concerning that there are like four defensive ends that are healthy on this team right now. But when you get Jonathan Cooper back, the depth is a little bit safer. It's still not the, the rotation that they would like to have. I think Larry Johnson generally likes to have six defensive ends and uh, six defensive tackles that are all healthy so he can rotate them in. But teams deal with injuries, it, it happens. And I, I think Ohio State will ultimately be okay with or without Nick Bosa because their recruiting is so good that they can they can replace an elite player with at least a pretty good player. So we're going to have a little fun on today's show in a little bit. We'll be joined by Ryan Donnelly, an Ohio State writer, one of our favorite uh, guys on the Ohio State front, to talk a little bit about uh, coaches who can beat other coaches up and beat us up which is fun. We recorded that conversation earlier today, so you'll get to hear that and hear some of his thoughts on uh, on Purdue. So I thought we'd get a different voice in there. We'll put that in uh, near the middle to end of this podcast so you can hear that discussion that we had. It was a lot of fun, and we're, Patrick and I are going to talk a little more in-depth about Purdue right now. So getting into that, What's your uh, what, what are you thinking heading into this game? What stands out to you? It's a primetime game. Purdue's 
maybe first prime time, like legit prime time ABC game since 2007 when Ohio State played them. And I did not think we would be here at this point of the season where it'd be like, wow, I'm worried about Purdue, but here we are. I um I think at the beginning of the season, Land Grant Holy Land, we always do a um like a season preview poll kind of thing, uh like a like a straw poll where we put in the like the the team we think wins the Big Ten, the record Ohio State finishes with, different things like that. And there's always a category for uh, the most likely loss on the schedule that we see, or like the upset loss that we we could see happening. And uh, last year my pick was Iowa. This year, my pick was Purdue, and the Iowa hunt happened, and I have a very similar feeling about this game as I did to the Iowa one. Ohio State has looked lethargic the, the past two weeks. They didn't even look—I mean, they didn't look good against Penn State until the very end when they, they finally figured out what Penn State's defense was throwing at them. This is now, what, the eighth straight game that Ohio State has to play without a bye since September 1st. The the bye week is this this upcoming week. And it, it's just, it's a really tough, it's a tough situation for Ohio State to be in. It's a, it's a hard place to play, especially at night, because that, that place can get pretty loud when they're excited about their team, when it's a big game. That stadium is essentially a wind tunnel. <laughs> I mean, if it's, if it's cold that night, it'll be significantly colder because of the way that that stadium is designed. And it, it's just, it's a tough place to play. And Purdue is, is, specifically designed it almost seems like to beat a team like Ohio State with the way that Ohio State's defense has been struggling against explosiveness and that that is to say we've been talking about the explosiveness a lot against Minnesota the thing that actually killed this this Buckeye defense was efficiency and their inability to stop underneath passes which is super concerning because that means they're not able to really stop either one but I, I think in this specific game it'll probably be a lot of explosive plays for for Purdue, and I, I'm certainly very concerned about that because Purdue, Purdue has scored pretty significant amounts of points on just about everyone they played. Um, they struggled against Eastern Michigan and actually lost at the beginning of the season by one point. But to this point, their scores have been they they put up 27, 19, 37, 30, 42, and 46. So they they've been getting better as the season has gone on. They put 30 points on a Boston College defense that is better against uh, explosive plays than Ohio State's is and probably better overall than Ohio State's is. And that was a, um, according to to Bill Connolly, that was a 67% offensive uh, percentile performance compared to what Purdue usually can do, what their their peak potential is. It's it's not great. It's not a great matchup for Ohio State. I, I think I'm really, really concerned about the possibility of an upset here. Yeah, I, I think also looking at it, I, I'm with you that the matchup, isn't great i also think you know when you look at purdue's schedule who's the best defense they faced and it's probably boston college and they were able to put up 30 and look good in that game but this is also an offense that scored 19 against eastern michigan and i think we can't can't overlook that but purdue definitely in in the way that they're able to scheme up i think that's what worries me the most is that they have a coaching staff that's smart enough to see what ohio state's put out on film and kind of recognize the deficiencies of their own players, but put them in a position to kind of, you know, take advantage of Ohio State's weaknesses and what they've shown on film. So it definitely would not shock me at all. I think I'm, I'm kind of expecting, along with you, 
that this game is going to have to be a shootout and Ohio State's going to have to score maybe not quite a bit of points, but they're going to have to score a pretty decent amount to be able to win this game. What's the lowest point total you could see Ohio State winning with? I think Purdue I think Purdue could score anywhere from like 27 to 42 points. I've got we'll, we'll we'll get into score predictions later, but I think I would be comfortable with Ohio State winning if they put up 42 points. I, I think that that would be the point where I would be pretty comfortable if Ohio State can score 42. That should be a win. I will say on the Eastern Michigan thing, it certainly doesn't look great because Eastern Michigan is not a great team. But Eastern Michigan's defense against isolated points per play is 100 ranks better than Ohio State's up at 21st, and they're they're pretty good against explosiveness. So that that's um, that can be explained a little bit. But I, I think that if Ohio State scores 42, they probably won the game. Man, if Ohio State scores 42 and they lose the game. <laughs> You think we've been complaining? Man, do you think Greg podcast? Schiano would survive that? Oh God, yeah. I I don't I don't foresee. I mean, it would have to be a disaster of epic proportions. I think that they the offense would have to look terrible too, in proportion with that to to cut ties. I there's no way that they could just cut ties right away. Urban Meyer won't do that. I mean, this is this is what we've talked about being loyal sometimes to a fault when it comes to either players or coaches. And to be fair, over Greg Schiano's first two years, they fielded very good defenses, and he's been a very big part of that. So I think he does deserve a little bit of that. But also this season, as we've stated again and again, he hasn't been nearly, not even close to that type of level in talent and with the way he's been utilizing that talent. So I think that, if it got ugly, that would be a little much to do it. But I, I can't also say that I would be like, oh, no, no, not Greg Shiana. Not Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure if there are a ton of ride or die fans for Greg Shiano. <laughs> Man, that Tennessee job. We're, we're thinking of – you want to go back and talk about an alternate reality. If he gets that Tennessee job, where are we at right now? Not to not to go too far into that rabbit hole. I think Alex Grinch is probably the defensive coordinator if that happens. And um, that hire does not look great right now. So uh, that's that's a little concerning. I, I certainly think if Ohio State comes out and just gets bludgeoned by by Purdue's offense and they're giving up big plays, they're not really able to to get a ton of pressure. I do think that this is a game where they might be able to get more pressure just because if Purdue's trying to create big plays, that might take a little bit more time to develop. But if Ohio State's still throwing, you know, six-man blitzes on every single play, they're still putting their cornerbacks on an island, putting Isaiah Pryor on Rondale Moore, uh, it could be really ugly. It, it could be really ugly really quickly if, if Purdue is able to take advantage of what Ohio State does. And that's kind of Jeff Brom's whole thing is that, that he game plans well, his teams perform above their talent level, and they're, they're able to get some teams with, with, with smart play calling, smart game planning, and kind of going right at the the weakness of opposing teams if ohio state was to do something like that it would be very nice because i do think that ohio state has some advantages in this game uh not just from a a talent standpoint although that's certainly helpful but i think ohio state should be able to run on purdue you would think you would hope because they're not great against the run their their defenses is um not very good against running explosiveness not very good against running efficiency and they're even worse against the pass especially passing efficiency which is ohio state's 
really their whole thing. They they have occasionally thrown the ball down the field because Dwayne Haskins has such a good arm. But with with the underneath stuff, with 10 to 12-yard completions to guys like K.J. Hill, Paris Campbell, Austin Mack, Ohio State's really, really good at that, and Purdue's defense is really, really bad at that. So Ohio State should be able to put up points. I, I do think that if Ohio State wins this game like 45-42, there would be some some serious concerns from from Buckeye fans and perhaps more importantly Buckeye boosters and and people who actually make things happen in the in the program. Yeah, I think the offense is going to have probably its most complete day that we've seen since the TCU game. There's no way. I mean there is a way, but I can't foresee the the offensive line and the running game as a whole struggling the way that they have the past couple of weeks because just because I don't think Purdue really has the playmakers to help them struggle like that if there's one thing they can do against the run it's that their stuff rate is pretty high so they've been able to get at or behind the the backfield and, and make some tackles for loss so that's a problem Ohio State has been dealing with is just getting consistent yards but I, I think that the line is going to be able to play their best that we've seen in about a month and be able to get a little bit of push and we'll see a little bit more open field stuff from J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. And part of that is just with how the passing game has been able to open things up. And I think that they can continue to do that by passing early and you know putting, putting up some early points with that passing game, loosening things up for the run. And I think that Dobbins and Weber both have their biggest days that we've seen in quite some time. I will say um, something individually about Purdue that's a little bit concerning is that their um, all of their sack leaders are either linebackers or uh, safety Jacob Thieneman. I think it's I think it's how you say that. I don't I don't know. That's a hard name to say. But uh, Marcus Bailey, Derek Barnes, and Cornell Jones are all uh, above three sacks on the season. Two of them are at three point five, and one is at three. And we saw that against Minnesota, that Ohio State kind of struggles with with speedier edge rushers. Carter Coughlin killed them all game long. And if Purdue saw that, which which they did, they would be smart to bring a guy like Cornell Jones, bring a guy like Derek Barnes or Marcus Bailey on the outside at Isaiah Prince and see if Ohio State can can respond in time, can move a running back over there, can move a tight end over there to, to help out. Because I think if there is something that, that – Purdue can do against Ohio State it's it's bring pressure and make it so Dwayne Haskins can't just pick apart their their back seven and they they certainly have the linebacker talent to do that if there's a part of this Purdue defense that scares me it's the linebackers their their line isn't great their their line is decent they have good defensive tackles which is why they're pretty good at stuffing the run but their linebackers are really good and they they've got a couple pretty decent safeties too I don't think their corners have much of a chance against Ohio State's receivers, but if they can get pressure, Ohio State's offense might might have some issues. Yeah, definitely hope to see um, an extra running back or a tight end, something to chip and help out Ohio State's tackles if Purdue's bringing that outside blitz and they're having success in getting to Dwayne Haskins because right now it's hard to feel confident about much of anything if Ohio State's passing game isn't on time and Dwayne Haskins doesn't have that that time and space to throw comfortably and kind of get get his receivers in advantageous positions where they can make plays on the ball. But uh, before we get into this chat with Ryan Donnelly, what's your what's your prediction for Saturday? Um, I think so. 
generally I've been pretty conservative on these these predictions, trying to just go with um, the the general consensus. The the line in this game I think started at 14. I'm not sure what it's at now. I'm guessing it's probably gone down more in favor of Purdue just from from what I've seen. Um, and I usually stick pretty close to the line. This is my upset pick this week. I I, um, I think Purdue's going to win this football game. I I have. I, I fluctuated between two different scores, two different possibilities here. I, I do think Ohio State can and should win this game, obviously, but I think Purdue will, and I've got them winning 31-27. Okay, we got an upset pick here. First time these teams have played since 2013, and honestly, I mean, even if people don't agree, this is we've seen worse Purdue teams beat Ohio I think State Purdue is, in West If Lafayette. I remember right, I think Purdue is actually Ohio State's, like the, the opponent in the Big Ten that has harassed them the most since the 2000s started. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. I think since 2000, I'm looking at it right now, Purdue has four wins, which for other, not many other teams in the Big Ten can say. Michigan certainly can't say that. So I, I don't think it's completely crazy to think that Purdue can and will win this game given what they can do on offense and just like we've been saying, the matchup itself with what we've seen from Ohio State's defense and where those deficiencies are, that doesn't play well against what Purdue likes to do and some of those talented skill position players they have and just the simplicity in a good way that their offense runs at. Purdue's 39th in S&P Plus, which is crazy to think about, that they are legitimately, I think, a decent team. The offense is legitimately good. I don't think the defense is very good. And I would be on the same page with you if Purdue had any sort of, like, marginal level win outside of Boston College. I think it's a bit much for me right now to think that they can just come in in primetime ABC game and that they're ready for this moment. I don't think we see that a lot in college football. I think that this is a Purdue team that if they were to play Michigan State before and beat a team like Michigan State or even Indiana, somebody in conference that I think has a pulse because their two conference wins right now are Nebraska and Illinois. And the Illinois game they dominated, which is you know fair to point out that they played very well. But I still think that this is a team that maybe not be – quite ready for prime time in the sense of winning this game but I definitely think they have the firepower to keep it close and I think we'll see Ohio State win something like 40 to 23 where for a half this is a really close game and Purdue makes one fatal mistake whether that's a sack fumble or just a bad interception just something where the game kind of falls out of reach for them but I'm with you along the lines of like I would not be shocked to see it play out in a way that Purdue wins. I would be very shocked if Ohio State doesn't score at least 30 points given Purdue's defense, but this is a defense that needs to get on track, and I think they can do it here, but as we've seen, nothing is really guaranteed with this Ohio State team, and I still think that they're on track for one loss, and this could be it. Yeah, I I think that um, we've seen Ohio State have games like this quite often. (laughs) under Urban Meyer obviously they haven't lost very much under him but usually when they do it it feels like this this kind of situation where it's like how did Ohio State lose that game you know looking back like the Iowa game last year where they were just 
plan outplayed by Iowa. It was like in um, in the NCAA video games where your quarterback comes out super cold and you just get crushed for no reason. That that was pretty much what happened to Ohio State, and I think that could be this game this year. I, I think that that Purdue could could catch Ohio State sleeping a little bit. I think Ohio State will probably be up for this game. It it helps that this game is is at night and people are paying attention to it because I think if Purdue came in and this was like a noon game, it would be, and you know, being a locked about, I would be less concerned or I would be more concerned about it than I am. And that's saying something because I think Ohio State's going to lose. But um, <laughs> if this was, if this was a nooner at Purdue and, and people were kind of like, well, Ohio State should win this one by 30, I think that that would be a situation where Purdue would just crush Ohio State like Iowa did. And I, I do think it'll be close. I think it could be a shootout, but I'm not super confident in what I've seen from Ohio State's offense recently. I mean, the showing against Indiana was was pretty good, but 27 points against Penn State's defense was not great. Penn State's defense is, is decent at best, and 30 against Minnesota, seven of which came very late in the game. It, it's just things are not all great for this offense right now. I think Dwayne Haskins is still very, very good. These receivers are still very, very good, but the line is not playing particularly well, and the rushing attack is non-existent. So I'm, I'm not super sure if I'm willing to trust this team in a shootout right now, and um, I, I'm, I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned about this football game. Well, the thing I like about this game, too, is that Purdue is good enough that this is going to be like a prove-it game for Ohio State that if they do look good I think we can take some stuff away from that it wouldn't be like last week like if they came out and wallop Minnesota where we could be like eh, Minnesota isn't very good you know how much can we really take away from this it's nice to see the offense get back on track and the defense play well like if they do play well and they do win comfortably and the defense looks better and the offense looks more complete and they're able to run the ball I then maybe we're at that point where it's like okay they've made some adjustments the defense just played better against a really good offense they're turning the corner so I do think that we're going to find out win or lose really really where this Ohio State team's at and I think that this is a great opportunity for them to prove it not only against a pretty solid Purdue team but also on a primetime stage yeah I, I think I can say pretty safely that if Ohio State does win this game it'll be a situation where like in the recap show we're not super upset about it even if it's not the prettiest win I I, I don't think it, I mean it would take a lot for Ohio State to win this and have it look so bad that Ohio State fans are upset about it I think in general we're kind of aware that that Purdue is a a good football team a legitimately good football team so that's that's a positive that if Ohio State wins we won't have to still be super upset about it and I, I do think that that's a nice little change of pace if they lose it'll be a very bad week in Columbus and that bad week will turn into two weeks because they got a bye week and um, that's that's concerning there's a lot of time for people to get really mad in, in that two-week period um, but it should be a fun game to watch, at least. It, it should be entertaining from a pure football standpoint. I, I wish I could watch it as a, a spectator and not a, a fan of one of the two teams. This is the kind of game I would really enjoy as like an Oregon fan or someone who doesn't have a dog in the fight. But um, it, it should be a good football game. I, I think it's going to be really close. It, it'll 
like you said, it'll tell us a lot about Ohio State, and that's helpful because a lot of games this season really haven't told us a lot about Ohio State. Send your hate tweets this week to <laughs> Patrick underscore Mayhorn. He is who you can reach for his predictions. Don't send them to me this week. I picked Ohio State to win. Send them to at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. You think that's a good place for us to uh, to wrap up the prediction portion of this podcast and get into our discussion with Ryan Donnelly about which coaches could fight best in the Big Ten? Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a I think that's a good place. That's where we're, where our expertise really lies is um, coaches in in uh, street fights. Word. Well, let's get right into it. Here is our discussion about coaches fighting in the Big Ten. Is this the first time we've ever had a guest on the show? I, I think so. Ryan, wow. it's an honor. Good to be here. Feels good to really uh, finally break the glass ceiling for white male podcasters. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad to be part of this. <laughs> we have coach talk for for I think the really the first time since media days. Uh, we we have some some important coach talk to to go over. <laughs> yeah, we got. So how, how do we even intro this? Because it's been a hot topic all throughout the week and. It's, like you said, the most important thing to get through to. And we'll put a link to the original, I guess the original piece in the post when it goes up. But it was called Drafting College Football Coaches We'd Least Want to Fight. And this is something we talk about quite often yeah. here on the show. And I, I think we're going to limit it to Big Ten coaches. But do we have, before we really break this down, do we have any initial thoughts on what type of coaches you don't want to fight which ones are easiest what what makes a good head coach or a bad head coach that you would least want to fight well i think first of all you really got to consider just kind of that um that like animalistic like um too dumb to be hurt kind of coach <laughs> like a I mean? will muschamp like thing it's just like too yeah yeah exactly i think i was just like too thick-headed and like angry to really feel pain until like 20 minutes later I forget who it was. It was, it was definitely in the NFL, but there was some coach who uh, who banged his own head off one of his players' helmets, right? He's just headbutt his players. They're wearing helmets. Like, that's the kind of guy I want on my fight, just that, uh, <laughs> that, that Brick Hamlin mentality, you know? Yeah, I, I think that the Big Ten is actually a, a really good candidate for this kind of discussion because when I was going through making my actual list for this, I realized that the, the conference is kind of split into – into two parts almost perfectly where like half of the coaches are relatively old, probably not great at fighting, but some of them are, are kind of crazy. Like both of the, the Michigan coaches. And uh, I think mm -hmm. Paul Chris could, could get down a little bit, but then there's like seven extremely young, fairly athletic coaches in the conference. <laughs> so where, where are we leading off with this? Are we going tiers? Are we going from, from bottom to top? Who's, Who's getting who's getting killed first? I guess would be would be my question because I'm looking at the list right now, and there's a couple guys that I think uh, could could be pretty easily offed when it comes to this. I have three guys right now that I'm looking on my list who I do not think would last long. <laughs> I actually also had a bottom tier of three. I wonder if we can compare notes on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, so my my bottom three were Kirk Ferentz, Urban Meyer, and Tom Allen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's um, my exact three <laughs> well that, that makes sense I, I, although i did um i did learn yesterday i did not realize until after i wrote my notes down that uh kirk ferentz is apparently a former linebacker i was never aware of that so mm. i feel like he might be the best of the three he might have a little wily in him but um 
yeah, Urban, Urban's got no chance, I'd say. And Tom Allen is just, like, too boring to fight. Like, who... Who cares about fighting Tom Allen? Why would anyone ever want to fight Tom Allen? I think that's a pretty solid bottom three. I don't know. I might substitute uh, Chris Ash for Urban Meyer. Chris Ash doesn't look like he wants smoke mm. with oh, anybody. What? I'd I'd feel I'd feel pretty comfortable throwing fists with Chris Ash if it really really came down to it. I've got Chris See, Ash actually pretty that. high on my list. Chris Ash has yeah, me too. Chris Ash has the crazy eyes, man. If you look that man in the eyes, he looks dangerous at all times. <laughs> I kind of feel like you have to be dangerous to coach Rutgers football. You kind of have to have no soul into you. He's got the Jersey Paisans on, on standby ready to just come through for him any given time. And uh, you're getting through this too. He, he's kind of like, he can't coach for his job. That's pretty too much too late. He could fight for his job. He could demand trial by combat to remain in the Big Ten. And uh, that's his best effort, man. He's going to go uh, a full over in Marshall to have a chance here. Apparently, Chris Ash, he played defensive back at Drake in the 90s. Um, so he does have a football background. He, uh, I, I think he could fight pretty well. He's in pretty good shape. What's that next tier? Because I think, at the very least, there's at least two dudes on, on the bottom without question. But once you start to move up from that, it seems like this, this gets a little jumbled and you can really make a case for anyone. I think, interestingly enough, there is a tier of just like... Uh... Not not in the bottom, just kind of like in the middle. There is a group of like relatively young, pretty athletic bald guys who are all pretty similar, in my estimation. Like, and if you count the interims too, like if you have Matt Canada, James Franklin, PJ Fleck, uh, those are all kind of like the same guy in a fight. Am I wrong? I actually I have PJ Fleck. He's all the way up at four on my list. I, I've he's got like the um, he's got kind of a runner's thing going on, but he looks to be in in pretty good shape. I'm not sure if he's crazy enough, but he he seems to be pretty good shape and a lot of energy. So I I, I had him ranked pretty high. PJ Fleck is definitely I think the most spry of all the Big Ten head coaches. If you if you are in a battle of stamina he's an endurance i think you're yeah he's he's an endurance guy i don't think he's much of a close combat guy he's definitely sticking and moving when it comes to the fighting game uh if you if you get him close combat though like if 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 it's him and paul christ and paul christ hooks him it's it's over man like (laughs) that thing is game over if paul christ gets him in his paws speaking of where do you guys have paul christ i've got him coming in at 11th but i think he could be anywhere anywhere at all (laughs) Yeah, we're on the same page. I also have him towards the bottom. Uh, I covered Pitt football for a while, as you guys may know. And uh, the Pitt fans there, to this day, affectionately, maybe, uh, refer to him as Mumbles. Uh, he's just considered, like, a very mild-mannered, like, almost, like, catatonically quiet human being. Uh, he barely has any personality. He's kind of just, like, around at all times. I just can't imagine he's, like, really going to go for it in a fight. But on the other hand, if things start getting tough, like, late in the fight, you do get Barry Alvarez to tap in like the 13th round for you, uh, which is a big, which is a big help probably. You can in and get that bowl game going. Yeah, if the fight is in the Rose Bowl, Barry Alvarez is showing up. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's somewhere in my middle where I, I he's my sleeper pick though, where like nobody knows anything about Paul Chris, but I think he's the biggest coach 
in the conference. And so he definitely has the size advantage over everybody. And like I said, if he if he gets you in in his mitts, then he's hooking you. Yeah, Paul Chris measurements are unfairly not mentioned on anywhere <laughs> anywhere online. Uh, so we don't really actually know how big he is. It's shocking to me that he's 52 years old. I I really I thought he was either in his 40s or in his 60s. There's <laughs> there's no understanding this man. <laughs> He is the crudex of a 40-year-old, but the spectacles of a 60-year-old. So it's really, really hard to tell. Yeah, he's been coaching since 1989. That's, that's a very long career for a man who hasn't really done much of anything, it seems like. What do we feel about the Michigan coaches? Because we've all seen the pictures of Jim Harbaugh with his shirt off at those summer camps. And he's definitely not how he looks to be from his former playing days. And Mark D'Antonio, I don't think, is particularly big, but he seems like the kind of guy that definitely has a shank ready or some sort of homemade device that he's willing he to stab you with. So, <laughs> yeah, I think Mark D'Antonio is low-key a, a pick here just because of his devious nature. I had them I had them eight and nine just because of the, the crazy factor. I think both of them have that thing going on where they're really not hurt until the adrenaline dr- dies down. I think Harbaugh a little more so than D'Antonio just because he's a little bit younger. But I, I think that they're both scrappers. I, I think that they can get into it if needed. Yeah, D'Antonio has like some of that saving energy where he's going to survive off pure spite for like a way longer in the fight than he has any reason to. And unlike Saban, he is not built like the Keeler Elf. So that, that gets his leg up. He does, have, he does have the chance to kind of last a little bit longer. He's like a normal-sized human. Yeah, he's Nick Saban is five foot two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> D'Antonio does kind of have that like that mesmerizing glare. He might just catch him with his eyes, you know, just uh, just just intimidate him with pure stare down. You got to give him credit for that. What about James Franklin? Because I think he's a he's a relatively you know solidly built dude. He looks like he can you know get into a little physical combat, but he also strikes me as the type of guy that he's taking one of those. He's he's taking a straight shot to the jaw and it's it's lights out. Yeah, it's just he, like he puts up a he puts up a really great fight, but. You give him one, and it's night-night. Franklin uh, is the Floyd Mayweather of the Big Ten and that he is a pure cardio guy. Uh, I've watched a couple high school games, and then we just happen to be on the same sideline, stuff like that. And uh, he's, like, you know, he's about 6'2". He's a pretty, like, normal-sized guy. But um, he's a runner for sure. He doesn't really lift. He's a pure cardio guy. And uh, I got to think he's going to try to just tire everybody else out. Just assume he's in better shape than all, like, the other, like, uh, just pudgy, like, mediocre 50-year-old men in the, in the conference. And uh, it might work for him, man. He might just uh, rope a dope some guys into, into laughing longer than he should. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, a guy with a goatee is usually a bad fighter, though, right? That's a good, that's the thing. Like, the only man with a goatee who's a good fighter is Stone Cold Steve Austin, that I'm aware of. <laughs> Strong agree. <laughs> yeah, I think James Franklin, he, he might do some, like, some psychological warfare. You know, he's, he's trying to get other coaches on his side that are maybe a little bit bigger than he is. Uh, by like uh, spreading information about the coaches that they're fighting, things like that. So I, I think that we could see like a Paul Christ, James Franklin team up kind of thing, <laughs> where where James Franklin is is kind of the the speed, the the distraction, kind of uh, keeping whoever the better fighter is on his heels, while Paul Christ tackles him from behind. <laughs> All right. So what's the ta- what's the top three here? What what's that looking like? Because I think by process of elimination we've. We've narrowed it down 
to a few. Make make the case for the top three and who who's at number one. Ryan, give us your give us your top three first, and then we'll we'll all go through ours. All right. Well, we've already talked about one of mine, but I'll give them anyway. Uh, I've got Pat Fitzgerald as the unanimous number one. Uh, I think it's the easiest choice. That man's neck is thicker than like uh, James Franklin's uh, thighs for the most part. He is just <laughs> a he is a big old boy. Uh, he won the buckets award, if I remember correctly. He's a big guy. Um, he's also as you can tell by his media comments, like calling RPO communism and stuff like that, he is, like I said at the start of this podcast, he is dumb enough to not feel pain. Um, and you got to respect that. And also, if I were Northwestern all day, we're, like surrounded by the kind of people that go to Northwestern, I'd be so angry all the time. I just want to let my frustration out on some other some other coaches. And I think Pat Michelle has that right mixture of like anger, size, and stupidity. That's really what you want from a coach. And then I've got uh, I've got Chris Ash number two. We talked about him earlier. I just think he's dangerous. You know, I, I've covered him before and asked him a couple of questions he wasn't, like, super thrilled about. And that look in his face is a little bit intimidating. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, he is a – he's a scary-looking dude. He's pretty intense. He has a little bit of Kerry Combs energy. So you got to give him that big Combs energy. Um, but then um, rounding out my top three, I've got Lovey Smith, who I believe has the most dad strength of anybody else in the, uh, in the conference, um, as you can tell by the beard. I mean, he finessed his way to $4 million a year from Illinois, despite being not good at coaching. So you got to give him just the Wiley factor there. And, uh, yeah, big up to Lovey. Lovey. Lovey really was an issue for me on this list because he could go just about anywhere because he's <laughs> he's really not as young as he seems. I mean, he's 60. And it's I don't know how long that dad strength really lasts, but I, I think that he still definitely has – some of that going on he he kind of looks like a high school football coach uh just in the way that he the way that he carries himself he's got that high school football coach thing going on um and all of those guys can fight so i i actually i had lovey smith in the bottom half of my list but i i think that he could be just about anywhere my top three i have also pat fitzgerald at number one he's gotten bigger somehow since he played linebacker <laughs> he he wasn't as big in the 90s as he is right now um, so if James Franklin is a pure cardio guy, I think Pat Fitzgerald is pretty much a pure lifting guy. Number two, I have Jeff Brom. I think Jeff Brom's crazy. And he's he's got the, the football, pretty recent football background. I think he probably has killed a man at some point in his life, and I, I think he will again. <laughs> so Jeff Brom is at number two. And then number three, I have another former quarterback, Scott Frost. Scott Frost is ripped. Scott Frost is yeah. secretly in very, very good shape. So I had to give him some credit, and then P.J. Fleck just outside at number four. Scott Frost, Scott Frost is my number one. Mm. Oh, yeah? Before, Scott Frost is the Big Ten Kyle Whittingham. He's 6'3", and the scariest thing about Scott Frost is he wouldn't even whoop your ass and be upset about it. He's handing out ass whoopings to teach a lesson. And I'm sure, like, have you guys ever been put in a headlock by like a family member or someone you're close with who wasn't even like that like they didn't they they weren't confrontational they were just like you know you got to calm down i'm teaching you a lesson <laughs> not that's mad Scott just Frost. disappointed that's, the, that's yeah that's the last dude i want to throw any sort of hands or have physical confrontation with yeah i i can see that scott frost he's a very intimidating man pat who else you got uh the other two i mean pat fitzgerald has to be up there former linebacker like you said he's he's crazy pat fitzgerald looks like he's definitely a biter like he, if you get him in a compromising spot, he's gonna bite your arm or like bite your stomach, and you're gonna be like, "Wow, I have to go get a shot now," since Pat Fitzgerald just bit me. <laughs> and then Lovey Smith, man, Lovey Smith with the beard, I think 
goes to the uh, goes to the next level. That's like Lovey Smith Super Saiyan status. I, I like him at three despite the age. I think he's he's got a little bit of heft to him. But I think uh, I think Brom's a sleeper for sure. If you go back and watch his stuff from the XFL, he's always definitely ready for it. Well, and there's that video of him like after a concussion walking out to to play a game. And he just, he sounds like a crazy person. He, he sounds like a man who's willing to play a football game in a league that's, play, that's paying him very little money uh, with a concussion just because he likes to hit people. Um, he's still pretty young. He's, he's 47. I, I think he can fight. I think Jeff Brom is, is underrated in, in these, um, these rankings. Yeah, I respect that. I definitely got like, anybody who will take Vince McMahon's money and uh, and nearly like kill himself to do it is uh, someone I gotta respect in a fight. I gotta hand it to him for that. Speaking of Jeff Brom, Ryan, we're uh, we're on this podcast and it's Purdue week. Do you have any particular thoughts or ideas about what you think stands out about Saturday's game or, or what you're most intrigued in and how this matchup's gonna gonna play out? Yeah, I want to start by asking you guys a question, um, which is. How high would I have to set the number? Like, if I was set an over/under for number of receiving yards that Rondell Moore records in this game, how high would I have to go for you to take the under? One seventy-five. That's actually the exact number I was thinking. That's crazy. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, like for a good bet, I'd probably take under at like one forty. But I think to actually have confidence in it, probably one seventy-five. I think yeah. he is. Um, He's going to light them up a little bit. I don't think it's going to be enough. I just don't think, like, I mean, like Minnesota, like any of the other teams, the Heights is going to play until Michigan. Um, they don't have the talent or the coaching or some combination of the two to really hang with Ohio State and win for the entire game. Um, I do think they're going to put up a whole lot of points. But at the end of the day, if you're going to ask me to take Dwayne Haskins versus any other quarterback in the country, like not named Justin Herbert or Tua Tagovailoa, I'm going to say it's, it's about Haskins every time. So it starts to do a shootout, I'll take Dwayne. But I do think it's going to be an explosive game where Purdue probably puts up, uh, God, I mean, it's 30, like 31, I think, probably to hang on a high C's defense. It's my expectation. Yeah, I, I could I could see that. Yeah, that definitely, I mean, we, we saw Minnesota's offense only put up 14, but as we talked about on last episode, they, they left a lot of points on the table. Indiana's offense hasn't been particularly enticing all season, and they were able to – put up 26 they left some points on the table as well so when you talk about a team with an actual pulse and that can do stuff explosively on offense I think that's where the worry comes in especially when it's a road game in prime time I do think it's there's kind of a a cruel irony to the fact that Rondale Moore is going to kill Ohio State every time he plays them (laughs) after Ohio State last year essentially decided that they were too good to recruit Rondale Moore so that's uh that's fun. I'm I'm glad that Purdue has him because he's a very very good football player. Yeah, I mean he's so fun to watch. And like, there, think of all the schools that nearly had him. He nearly went to uh, Texas, Ohio yeah, he was State, committed to Texas. Yeah, exactly. I mean, God, imagine him and imagine him and little Jordan Humphrey playing together at Texas. That'd be a blast. But you can't say that. He, I mean, he made a great choice for him. It seems like. Yeah. Um, and also, cool. You touched there on, on Minnesota offense, like you say, kind of left a lot of points on the field. Uh, they didn't put up there. And they were coming to that game 111th in total offense, if I remember correctly. Um, whereas Purdue is ranked 17th off of the S&P Plus coming into this game. They can score. They can score with anybody, really. Um, so they want this to be a track meet, I'm sure. It's probably the best home crowd they've had in 
in quite a few years. So I'm sure things are going to be pumped up and lively there. And, and I think the first half might be um, a real back-and-forth kind of game. You, you know, I'm sure Jeff Rahm has hooked up some offensive scripts there to kind of go early, and I have no doubt that Greg Schiano will be un- utterly confused by it um, and, and just looking baffled on the sidelines and blaming his players. So that'll be fun to watch for sure. That'll be really, fr- really fun and definitely not frustrating at all to watch. Yeah, this kind of strikes me as a game where – Purdue's going to scheme something up on that first drive, and if they win the toss, they will receive, and they're just going to go right to it, and you could see them move down the field four or five plays, and everybody just kind of be like, oh my God, what's what's going on? Why is this receiver running 18 yards down the field wide open? Why is their running back not being touched for 20 yards? Like That's going to be one where, you know, from the jump, I think we'll see Purdue scheme up really well, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is the best, or maybe not best, but most complete offense that Ohio State has faced so far this year, including Penn State, just with what they're able to do explosively and through the passing game. Yeah, that explosiveness is a big thing to me, looking at um, Purdue's Bill Connolly's stat profile. They're, they're sixth in marginal explosiveness, ninth in isolated points per play, top 10 in pretty much every explosiveness category. And Ohio State's defense, if there's anything that they're bad at, and they're bad at many things, explosiveness. They they are not good against big plays. Minnesota didn't really have a ton because Minnesota is also not good at big plays. But that's pretty much Purdue's whole thing. They don't really care about efficiency a ton. They mostly just want to make big plays happen. And in a big game like this, I think that they'll probably be pulling out all the stops for that, which is very concerning with Ohio State's back seven. I, I do think you're going to see a bit more Baron Browning this week than you have seen in the I hope previous. So. <laughs> uh, uh, I hope so as well. In uh, uh, a lot of ways, because you kind of need that athleticism that he has, the ability to move in space against this offense. I think, you know, I actually do like Tough Borland, and I think he's, um, I think he's a good player. But I, I do question if he's still 100, or if he's back to 100% from Achilles injury, because I, I don't remember him being this slow last season. You know, he wasn't this unexplosive, this slow, this this just uh, stiff. And it seems like he really has been this year. He's, he's struggled to move in coverage. And I just question whether or not he can, he can hang with this Purdue offense that does, like you said, rely so much on explosive plays, on getting the ball in open areas. You know, I, I want a guy who's just the best athlete in the field. And Baron Browning is the best athlete in the field in nearly any football game he plays. And he's an incredible athlete. And I think he's a guy who needs to have out there next to probably um, Malik Harrison and Pete Warner, if I had to guess. Ryan, you mentioned that you think – that Ohio State ultimately pulls this game out in kind of the similar vein that they have the last couple of weeks. What do you think is one thing that can swing the game, and what's your, I guess, final prediction for Saturday? I, I guess, you know, if this was pointed out by uh, Bill Landis, so I'm going to borrow that from him, that, uh, you know, if Isaiah Prince kind of keeps playing the way he did uh, on Saturday and they're not giving him any help with the tight end chip, um, he can get Dwayne Haskins killed. So, I mean, he, he really can if he's going to, I think it's a mental thing for him, and he's largely a good player who kind of struggles mentally. But if he doesn't get his head right, and if he does have a bad game against Purdue this week and lifts up a couple of pressures, some of like that early, you know, Ohio State is one injury to Dwayne Haskins away from being an 84 football team, uh, basically, and the way they've been coached, the way they played outside of Dwayne's arm talent. So I, I guess that's my question: is can Purdue get to Dwayne Haskins? Because um, if they can, if they cannot, they don't really have a chance to win. They'll keep it close, keep it fun, but they won't win. If they can get pressure on Dwayne consistently. Uh, I think it's a, it's a new ball game, and I guess I just question if that happens, if, if they can really beat this Ohio State O-line, or if you're going to see a pissed-off Buckeye defensive line who is kind of looking for 
we're going to get some frustrations out. And um, I guess we'll have to see on Saturday. That's kind of the one thing I'm looking at is just uh, how does the Buckeye O-line hold up and I can Purdue scheme up any pressure or just get pressure with a four-man rush. Well, one thing's for sure, and it's that we definitely won't be frustrated Never. if we anything from Ohio State football. <laughs> it will not happen. Uh, if you want to follow anything that Ryan's got going on, follow him on Twitter at B1G underscore Ryan. Ryan, do you have any? Do you have anything else you uh, you want to plug? I want to plug uh, DJ Burns candidacy for the uh, 80th district of Ohio. So I support DJ that. Burns. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, not really. No, I'm I'm good. I'm just in a I'm a good man, just working and, and podcasting once in a while, and, and you know writing a little bit. So uh, yeah, to follow me on Twitter, and I will uh, definitely make sure everyone's reading your guys' work. It's fantastic, and I always I always enjoy it as well as the podcast. So yeah, hopefully talking again soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Holler at Ryan on Twitter at B1G underscore Ryan. You can send him an email at Land of 10 at gmail.com for all your angry takes about his <laughs> coaching fight decisions and everything else going on. But give him a follow on Twitter. He's one of the best on the Ohio State front. And Ryan, man, glad that you were the uh, the first I, I'm trying to. How, what, what's the right word for it? I wanted. I was gonna say a three-way. <laughs> this ain't a three-way. Um, <laughs> the the best guest while Patrick and I are hosting. co-expert. <laughs> I like it. We're gonna go with that. Yeah, I'm glad to be part of it, man. Like I said, it's just it's just been too long that the young white men have been silenced and held out in the podcasting yeah. world. It's, it's time we fix that. Yeah, we need more representation for for middle like middle youth white men with beards. <laughs> Ryan's one of the best when it comes to Ohio State stuff. So if you aren't following him, you should be at B1G underscore Ryan. Make sure to find his work there. And it was great chatting with him and just getting to talk a little bit of nonsense before this Purdue game. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back after the game with our usual recap episode, so be on the look for that on Sunday. Keep your podcast feeds open, and you can do that by going to soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland and by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the uptick and all of the reviews. It's either been very positive or very negative, and with how the Ohio State fan base and some of the news that Ohio State has gone through this year it's easy to see why, but at the end of the day, we uh, we always appreciate your guys' feedback. And as we've said the past few weeks, this show is not going to be for everyone. We are not going to cater to a certain part of the Ohio State fan base. You know who you are. We know who you are. And that's fine. There's a ton of awesome places to get Ohio State news. But we appreciate all of the feedback, whether it's positive or or negative. Like we've said, we're just fans. We're just like you guys. We are not insiders. We're not going to claim to know more than anybody, but we're just giving our opinion. And a lot of the times it's going to be wrong. Those things aren't going to happen that we talk about. But if you can step away from this podcast and gain a little bit of knowledge or have a laugh or two, that's what we're here for. And that is what we are always going to do whether you agree with us or not. So we appreciate your continued support or hate. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. It is all love, and we are going to be here for the rest of this season and as basketball kicks up. So it should be a lot of fun. This is the busiest time of year, and hopefully 
Ohio State continues to win, and we have some more high-profile games to talk about. But until next time, I want to thank you all for listening to the show. I want to thank Ryan Donnelly for joining the show. And for my co-host, Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been The Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.